Welcome back to Let's Talk Value podcast series. It's my special pleasure today to welcome longtime friend and colleague, Michelle Schmidt. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Verena. It's wonderful to be here today. So I think talking about ways to cooperate in healthcare and work across really a multitude of different uh, stakeholders, and obviously there are the five Ps, patient, provider, pharma, payer, and policy, but it's also internal in an organization. We also have a bunch of stakeholders, and I'm not using yet the word silos, maybe we <laughs> silos, but... Um, <laughs> But so it's kind of both external and internal. And I think Michelle is super, super well positioned to share with us some of her deep experiences on what are some tips and tricks that really work well or pitfalls. So <laughs> well, for me again, um, I can't, you know, tell all the great pedigree that Michelle has in the industry, started off as a nurse, really a clinician, a practitioner, and knows the problems on the ground and really gained more and more responsibilities in clinical research and portfolio management. And now she's senior vice president of asset and portfolio management at Daichi Sanko. So thank you, Michelle, for being here. It is my absolute pleasure. I This is one of my favorite topics um, to talk about. And at the end of the day, if we can find a way to make well-being better for patients, I think we have to do that and we can only do it um, by collaborating across the five P's or, or actors, as you call it. Um, it. It just has to happen. Thank you. And I know you wanted to mention a, a brief disclosure because obviously yes. we hear from who you are foremost, but we all have <laughs> affiliations and our duties. Yeah. So please yes, go. thank you. So um, just note that the please note that the views and opinions expressed in this presentation are solely mine and do not um, reflect the views or opinions of Daiichi Sankyo, who is my current employer. Thank you. Perfect. So let's start. As always, our audience knows I like to ask that easy and difficult question at this yeah. What does value mean to you in healthcare and medicine, maybe, um, Michelle? Yeah, so I think this is the central question. And, and for me, value is really about well-being. But when I think about well-being, it's about well-being for patients and their families. So perhaps it is the nurse background of mine, but I don't think about the patient as a singular person, but rather the patient and their family, which is whatever they define their support system as, aka family, um, is really how we have to think their well-being as they define it, that is something that is viable long-term. Um, it's really about, uh, the well-being is about an enhancement of their life. Um, and it's not a trade-off across um the, the five Ps that the provider, the payers, pharmacy, the policymakers, they really shouldn't be caught in between of this struggle, but rather um, giving the why or the reason for us to work together to form that cooperation together. So it's about well-being and we need to use that as our fuel and energy to find that cooperation that is really important across the healthcare ecosystem. Yeah, and that's amazing. And I think, and I know we'll get to one thing that you just said in the opening before I started. 
you know, how is this possibly going to work, right? Yes. But I think one trick then also in our consulting work at 5P Healthcare Solutions, we practically speaking, we actually gather and ask exactly that why question. So mm-hmm. what is the purpose and what is it we want to get at? And something that you very nicely said, and it's going to lead me to my next question. So well-being for patients and their support system. But really, if it makes sense, for the well-being of the patient, the family, it should also make sense for everybody along the value chain and not only for those patients. So I think this is, and if we anchor it around our common why and purpose, we usually get there. Mm-hmm. So in your current role, mm. um, it's not necessarily around which company, but like in the function of asset and portfolio management on the pharmaceutical side, on the private side, what how would you understand in your team's value over there? Yeah, so um, I think, so so value for our teams has got to center back on that patient and family unit. Um, and it can't be just a word. It, it really has to have a meaning. And I do think, you know, um, my, my, in my current role, um, my team runs the global project teams, which are a bunch of cross-functional experts, right? In, in the pharmaceutical business, when I was a nurse, I think we called them multidisciplinary teams, right? So, so working, um, across even this smaller ecosystem of pharma, how does that translate that idea of working cross-functionally with this central purpose of creating value for the patients and their family? How do you then take it from this micro, this like microcosm of just a project team and move that bigger and bigger into the bigger ecosystem? This should be more easily translated, right? We this should be if if this is how we're used to working, translated. But I think that sometimes we lose sight of really why we're doing it, and that remembering that each of these pieces of the healthcare ecosystem have that same vision in mind, um, and and that slowing down. And I don't mean slowing down in years. I mean, slowing down in minutes to just hear that and to remind ourselves is important um, of that. Because even if you haven't been a direct patient care provider, um, you've more than likely either been a patient or taken care of someone who's been ill or needed help. So everyone, that's a common relationship for everyone and should be the, the energy and the fuel for that cooperation. So that's how we think about it in pharma. Um, and and we talk about patients a lot too, to make so, it real. So that's a great segue when you say we're talking about it. So how do you practically in the day job, you know, because it's, and you alluded to something, it's so tempting in the day job to get distracted from our mm. initial why and purpose. Mm. And probably in a quiet moment when we ask, oh, what's your purpose? Well, it's very easily around patients and stuff. Mm -hmm. Then we go back and we need to deliver a budget sheet or the clinical trial is not enrolling or Mm -hmm. the diligence is late or then these day things come into our way. (laughs) So what are some of, because you sit in your function, as you said, you know, in the middle of the, call it multidisciplinary or cross-functional or whatever Uh the latest buzzword is. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) Um, so what are your tips and tricks for others to 
keep us centered on what our ingoing purpose and idea and why was how yeah. do you do it in your yeah but because this kind of negotiation that we have to work on happens within these small project teams and some of them are not so small but um, if we can't find that way within our own uh, team we can't then translate that to the bigger team right of of the bigger healthcare system I think, you know, there was a part in the book of It Takes Five to Tango where you say, focus on the patient and the rest will follow. And I thought, yes. So so how do we stay focused when trials are not enrolling? Um, the budget may need to be increased. The, the a million issues that could occur. It's about bringing it back to the why we are doing this and almost... Um, being open to different ideas and different ways of exploring that. And the way you do that is you don't sit in a four-walled room by yourselves and figure that out. You reach out to your partners across the healthcare ecosystem and say, here's the challenge that we're having today. But not just asking the question, but listening and, and really digesting what you're hearing, whether it be from even a different team in your own organization, but also, I think most importantly, what, what are you hearing that's happening um, either by with patients? And, and I think this is an important area that is, you're seeing it um, at the regulatory agencies around the world. You're seeing it um in, in a number of pharma, bringing the patients and their families into these discussions, hopefully early on, not when there's a crisis, um, but also hearing from the providers, whomever they may be, um, but the policymakers as well have a big influence here. We have to kind of try to solve these problems together. And I think that goes for all parts of the, the four pieces of the five Ps to benefit the patient. And I'm um, fortunate enough among many colleagues who have worked with Michelle Schmidt in the past, but I've seen you in action. Obviously. <laughs> we have worked on a public-private partnership project yeah. research deeply together. And I've seen you reach out to external, external to the company, the organization people. And in this case, it was a clinical study group and, and physicians and researchers and really create that sense of partnership and common purpose, but then almost have the courage to just behave with them just the same way you would with your own colleagues. And then it make it a real partnership, even if they are tough conversations to have. And like, mm -hmm. hey guys, we need to call you because actually we need to come and do an audit in your place. Yeah. Yeah. Audit. And yeah. so you, it, but it's when you start talking about the real problems, and the real situation, that's when it becomes real cooperation and real partnership. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. go out there. So what you say, go out there, reach out, you know, bring in the patient, or you spoke about regulators or or other people. It's really not only having that the sentence in your weekly email to the teams, but actually yeah. actually do it and do it. <laughs> Make it personal. Um, you know, I think sometimes would we be more open to different ideas if the patient was sitting in the room with us or their family member was sitting in the room with us, right? For all of us, each one of those actors, like would how would we, we would hope it would be the same, but could you imagine? And sometimes we need 
that reset um, of thinking about what if that was you or a family member or just any patient in that conversation. Um, but but speaking about you know our collaboration that we worked on, that was such an amazing learning experience, and I, I couldn't help as I read your book, and I, I'm such a fan. I have to tell you, it really gave me lots to think about. Um, was gosh, if I would have known, I mean, this relationship with us lasted over ten years, um, and in the beginning, uh, early on in my career. I thought, well, this is what I need for for this protocol and for this. I I it was a lot of I or I I or we, meaning we the company needed. And I thought later on you realize, well, that's great, but what does your collaborator need? Right? And how do you start to understand their needs and their objectives? And honestly, what this really takes, kind of as I think about it, was like three things. One, the word listen. Obvious, right? Um, but there is a certain common vocabulary that you speak about in the tango, but but you do have to establish some new common vocabulary or maybe what they mean, right? So what that means to collect adverse events for me might mean something different to our collaborator. Um, so it's not just the vocabulary, but the common definition of what you need or why you need it. And so kind of really listening, but also bringing in the non-obvious collaborators into that discussion, right? So it's obvious clinician to clinician, um, regulatory to regulatory, stats to stats, but maybe the finance people need to hear this and listen to and our, our team in legal, right? Everybody. I'm always a big fan. Heavily. Yeah. I mean, they're like some of my great friends, but you know, like they yeah. need to, to be fair for them to be able to represent us. Um, us as the ecosystem, they need to hear those conversations, listen, and then really develop that kind of second thing of time and trust, right? No one has time. But you will have time when you have to fix it later. So really, I thought um, by taking the time to establish relationships and trust, um, it's definitely not the easy button. It definitely takes time, but it's the return on investment is tremendous. And we have made great strides, I think, through the pandemic, which I know many of us have reflected on. And I think us being able to have this Zoom podcast is amazing. But there is a lot of value to building trust in a face-to-face relationship. And that means getting on a plane and flying somewhere. I think you need to do that and take the time to build that trust. So when the conversations get difficult and they will, you already understand, have a better understanding of your collaborator's point of view and you can speak more plainly to solve the problem, right? Because that patient is sitting there waiting for us. And then really the third thing I I thought about was really, um, seeing the possibilities, not the barriers. And, you know, when I picked up this book, I thought, okay, how are we going to manage this master ecosystem of healthcare? Um, And my main takeaway was really, well, stop seeing what the barriers are and start seeing the possibilities. And I think that is where we got to in our collaboration, which was there are barriers. It sounds a little bit like rainbows and sunshine, but you're not going to fix the entire healthcare system with the easy button. 
but rather where do you see the opportunities, acknowledge the barriers and start getting to work as opposed to letting those barriers continue to push you backwards. I was stunned in your book when I read it was 1925 in Science and Innovation that they talked about telehealth. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I thought almost a hundred years later, and of course the technology and the pandemic later or two pandemic. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, two, yeah. Um, that we finally were able to do this, and I thought, can we wait for a hundred years each time? Were there things that we could have done before this pandemic, at least to make it maybe 75 years? And I want to to pause on what you really said, and we're not going to disclose who, what, where, country, whatever, but I want to make for at least the clinical research people on the the call or startup um, drug developers to give you a real example on what Michelle is describing and that we lived. So... We were partnering with a large study group on a registration trial with a new drug. And then we figured, well, that group didn't have any standard overrating procedures in place um, because it was an academic group. They didn't really need to. It was a different time um, Mm -hmm. with less regulatory requirements. So our company then said, no, 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 we cannot partner with that group because they don't have the required CQA and quality control standards. So in a traditional transactional way, transactional, yes. that would have been a no, that mm-hmm. collaboration would not have occurred because mm-hmm. there was a regulatory barrier, there was a, a QA barrier, then there was a little bit of a cultural barrier, oh, anyway, mm-hmm. these people can't be trusted, and then you mm-hmm. make it up. So it was all what Michelle said, it was only barriers. And then maybe Michelle and I and other of others, our, many all, others, many <laughs> others, we said, no, 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 we don't take no for an answer here. It's like, so we <laughs> and eventually dropped, jumped on a plane and went there and said, and said, this is what we observe. For us, it would be really important to have that clinical um, quality control environment. And we believe this is why the legitimacy is for the regulatory environment and health authorities that should be there. And then they said, oh, actually, this is a really good idea. So then we need to build one. And it's like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, different conversation. Mm-hmm. And five years later, they would thank us because they would build that function that they didn't think of before. That is what we mean. And that's what Michelle so nicely said. How can you turn it from stop thinking about barriers and go on a plane and go there and discuss with the people and listen? Yeah, and not assume that it can't be done. Uh- it, it it um it is definitely one of the most the one of the best organizations I got to work with. Yeah. <laughs> now we'll move on. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted to, I always have a little bit of an IT and digital um flavor mm. obviously to our conversations because luckily now compared to 20 years ago, electronic data capture is so much more advanced and and standards are more advanced and even hot where IT intercom compatibility issues are better. So mm. anything that you focus on or that you can share in terms of IT software support that's really important to make the the, the really the, the mass analytics of data, you mm. know, um, capturing more tangible and turn it from a barrier to an enabler. Yeah. Enabler, yeah. Um, so I, I don't... Um, I think number one, the the guiding principle has to be how how do you make the the repetitive and mundane, how do you leverage digital health 
or AI in that way will, you know, obviously keeping patient privacy um, protected during that. And I, I think that is kind of an easy, an easier reach um, than others. There, there are certainly a number of digital health solutions um, that we think about when we think about um, how, how we help patients, whether that be using big data um, in, in integrating data across a number of different trials using that real world evidence. We are hearing more and more um, about this. Um, I, I'm really interested in, in how we get uh, electronic health records speaking directly into the electronic data capture. That is an area of, I think, um, repetitiveness um, opens up more quality issues and it helps, but but recognizing that there are IT barriers to that and patient privacy concerns um, that you highlight in your book around, around infrastructure. And I was really excited about this Fed AI that's coming up. And just today I see Sanofi and Flatiron Clinical Pipe are going to work together to try to move that into real world. I think saving the time of the coordinators at the site, increasing accuracy of data is important. I think as we speak about the healthcare ecosystem today, what I know, come to understand pretty globally is, is the staffing challenges mm -hmm. that are still resulting from the pandemic. Um, and, and so how do we support that, that staff in a better way so they're not doing routine, mundane tasks, re like repetitively putting in what's your name, what's your date of birth? There's no need for that to be done. And I think um, in our own lives, right, being able to look up your COVID test online was very simple now, which it wasn't before. So those are the things I think we can focus on and taking small bites at the apple, Um to bring, um, use technology to bring things closer to the patient, to make their lives better, but also for the providers. I mean, we've all been there of swimming in that paperwork or now it's digital work. Um, how do you leverage that and use that to ultimately have you spend more time with the patients and their family, which make you better providers when you can listen to them? the overwhelming fact is right now that that is huge for our providers. Yeah. And I, and I like that kind of the taking off the repetitive tasks and autom yeah. things automate to give that back that time. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what I always love about Eric Topol's book, Deep, um, yes. Deep Medicine and and that it actually brings back the human touch and it's not actually making yes it's actually yes. the opposite it's like alleviating tasks for for highly qualified people to do more mm -hmm. important things with, with other mm -hmm. people this is always as i'm saying the the shocking moment in the podcast when um, i'm looking at time <laughs> and we could uh, we have i think we've just started barely scratching the surface on them mm -hmm. things but um it has turned out that that kind of 20 minutes plus or minus is a good attention span for, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and maybe for ourselves too. But so, yeah, it's like to close. Um, anything that you really wanted to say and you weren't able to say yet in the in, in the time until now, and that you want to leave our our listeners and uh, uh, public with before we no, I, I would say, um, Verena, I think bringing this to the forefront, which we all know that we need to collaborate together, but being more thoughtful 
and purposeful about how we can understand the other um, collaborators' views that we all do. I like how you have the patient in the center. We all, without question, we all focus on that, on, on that person and their family. But to not lose sight of that and use that as your energy and fuel to find new ways to collaborate, cooperate, to make life better um, for them. I, I know we can do it. And this was a great reminder to do that. Thank you very much, Michelle thank, Schmidt. Thank you, Verena.